And and go. Live from the Fly's Den. Live from the Fly Den. Yeah, I have the big (laughs) uh, Fly 2 poster in the bathroom when I went in uh, last night and started getting uh, the studio ready. I was in there and there there was literal flies crawling on the Fly 2 poster. (laughs) And I was like, the irony. (laughs) That's uh, the opposite of irony. That's the opposite of irony. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so today... um, it's just a coincidence. We're doing Asteroid City. It's a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, it's, you know, one of those. <laughs> it's one of those movies where they're playing with like roles about like who's the director, who's the actor, like what is the writer really, and like swapping those roles and upending those um, traditional ideas about those things and, you know, swapping out actors and all this craziness. So I thought the best way to kind of enact that uh, on our own in the podcast today is we're going to switch roles. So you're the host. What? God. What? Oh, okay. I don't. F- I don't. All here's, right. Here's the thing. No. Okay. What? What's that, Dan? I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. That's usually like my vibe leading up to the podcast. I feel like on the podcast, it's not really my vibe. It's got so much. It's got so much shit I have to talk about. You're, yeah, uh, I feel angst when I watch a movie that's terrible at one in the morning and then wake up and drive 40 minutes to Maniunk, <laughs> sit in traffic at 9 a.m. on a fucking Sunday that gives you to angst. talk about Mac and me. Sounds like irony. <laughs> <laughs> Just depression. That's a big glass of irony for All you, right, kids. So I'm hosting, yeah. as, we, as we said. So, at, at least up to the theme song. So, Dan, today what we're... Oh, so I shouldn't be like doing the show. Oh, you want to do the whole show? You could do this episode. This is for for the avant garden fans. Yeah, that's probably. I feel like we're. Or how did you pronounce it? Avant garden. <laughs> I feel like we're probably gonna <laughs> slip into our natural roles. No, no. Mm-mm. I'm All just right. gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start starting right now. I'm going full Dan Anden on this one. You ready, folks? All right. Hold on. Let me get much more comfortable. Yeah, and you less look, angsty. Yeah, I don't Pull understand. This mic up to me here. Why you don't look more comfortable when we record? All right. <laughs> I guess uh, let's fucking. I just had to like uh, drive here. All right, and it's terrible. So welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I am your host Dan Enden. Jesus Christ, I want to die. And that's Dan Lyons. I want to use my name in case my wife listens to this. <laughs> She'll fucking kill me, dude. Um, I'm gonna say midget like a hundred times. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the wrong episode. Yeah, this is a pro midget podcast. <laughs> um, today, uh, today, Dan, we're doing something that's probably long overdue for this podcast, and we're discussing a Wes Anderson picture. Um, Great. Wes Anderson filmmaker that we've both seen quite a few of his pictures, and uh, the stars have finally aligned for us to come together in this blessed season eight, seven. What season is it? Dan would never do this. Fuck. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, it's been a bunch of episodes of the podcast, just, as we just, all know. Just move on, Dan. All right. I'm moving on. Dan wants me to move on. I'm getting the Rachel treatment. Please just move on. All right. So I uh, thought it might be a good idea for us to just, you know, run through Wes's filmography. You know, if you want, give a quick one-sentence review. Don't go over one sentence, Dan. Don't need it to be long. Just oh, give me a couple words. You don't have to worry about me not going over a sentence. Okay. 
And then, uh, you know, if you want to give a GGR, that's fine. Whatever. Just a casual chat, you know? I want to give the GGR because the GGR, that makes me feel self-important. I mean, I don't blame you. That's like my stamp. Yeah. The fact that my stamp equals as much as your stamp is the only power I have, so. That's why I invented it, Dan, to help you out. Um, I, feel like, I feel like you just gave me a compliment. <laughs> so what's... Uh, All right, wait, back to my character. <clears throat> uh, so what's... Uh, Which, as we mentioned in the last episode, the best of my character work is when I become increasingly more Jewish. So my Dan ended impression is just me. Uh, 16 percent more nasal and on a lot of Sudafed. <laughs> okay. Sudafed. I don't know. Whatever makes you slow. <laughs> I wasn't going to say <laughs> delete that. All right. <clears throat> Let me get back into character. Okay. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you call yourself? Uh, what's your relationship to Wes Anderson? Bring me through the Dan Lyons, uh, Wes Anderson trajectory. I want to do that. I really do. But I feel like you're, you're overstructuring podcast <laughs> i feel like it's kind of all substance and no style right now for wes anderson picture we should probably be doing the opposite all style no substance that's a uh, an incredibly that being that's an said, incredibly insightful and astute view dan that being said give me some more of that hot fire i feel like butt sex you <laughs> Here, you want me to do what I would do in this moment? Hold on to your butts. <laughs> okay, so random uh, button alert. Disappointed. Um, <laughs> which brings us to Asteroid City. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how I do transitions. <laughs> um, <clears throat> here's the thing. <laughs> you forgot to do the theme song. I would like to see the baby. Hold on to your butt. We'll step this smack the shit out of it. We'll spit we'll step we'll spit this smack the shit out of it. We'll spit this we'll spit this we'll spit this we'll we'll spit we'll spit this smack the shit out of it. I think uh, I think I'm done with this bit, probably. You think you're done with the bit? Yeah. Why? Because you don't want to run the episode. It's exhausting. <laughs> this is like the most relaxed I've ever felt. <laughs> now I'm gonna keep it rolling for a little longer. Go ahead. All right. So, go ahead, just Dan. Uh, just go ahead, please. Yeah. Okay. We're doing the thing. So, I'm uh, here. Yeah. So I'd prefer if you moved on. Yeah. No. Thank th you. That's fine. I'll just cut it. I have all day. Because I live here. I don't. And someone's going to be very mad at me very soon. Going to need you to <clears throat> hurry it up. Welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. Wes Anderson <laughs> extravaganza. <laughs> uh, we were talking. The Westival. That's me inserting a better name. Yeah. That's what you do. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, this is the moment where I'm realizing it's much easier to come up with puns on the fly when I'm not talking the rest of the time. Dan Enden struggling to do uh, nervous transitional laughter. Take one, go. 
what's what's your what's your feelings on Wes Anderson these days, Dan? Or give me the trajectory of how you felt, how you're currently feeling, how you felt in the middle, how you'll be feeling tomorrow, having recorded a podcast entirely about Wes Anderson. Do you think you're going to come to new realizations and well, go? Right now, I would say that I'm fine. Uh, Dan Lyons with the classic I Felt Nothing review of Wes Anderson. <laughs> um, as we all know, as all my fans know, um, I love the Royal Tenenbaums. It's, pro- <laughs> it's probably, How could you not? probably the greatest film of all time. It has absolutely no color grading issues. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I got the 4K Royal Tenenbaums. How shitty does that look? It looks so gorgeously shitty like in a good way or yeah better? i okay. mean i love the aesthetic of that movie all right back to the bit um you want to talk about color grading issues I, all right all right i'll drop the bit we're gonna drop the bit yeah <clears throat> i was already naturally getting there let me get let me get my uh actual voice back yeah in. get your lion face on you must travel to the planet core Dude, lemon face lion's face um Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I'm Dan Lyons. <laughs> and I'm not associating with the podcast. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about a movie. Oh, today it's movie day. <laughs> that was like the Crypt Keeper. It's movie day. <laughs> Listen, it's movie blues time. <laughs> All right. So um, Wes Anderson movies uh, for me. I'm going to admit that I'm pretty sure I saw um, Royal Tenenbaums first. Maybe I had seen Rushmore like on TV, but I saw like Royal Tenenbaums in theaters. And yeah. of course, it had a huge effect on me. I feel like that's the trajectory because Rushmore used to be on Comedy Central all the time. Yeah. And I saw it. And then separately, I saw Royal Tenenbaums in theaters purely based on the poster with just like how many fucking actors were in it. Right. And I didn't know that it was the same person who made Rushmore. Um, yeah, so, uh, I didn't connect those things either, and I surely hadn't seen Bottle Rocket. I'm sure, like, Andre saw Bottle Rocket first in, like, 70 millimeter somewhere. Yeah, from his crib at a drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> Japan. Um, and, um, uh, from there, I guess there Dan? really became... Pause. Pause. Something on fire? I just blew the candle out next to me. Oh. Thank you for being, like, on your toes, though. Dude. It's from doing an impersonation of me that is giving you the strength. You don't sit in a basement and smell smoke and say nothing. Okay, thank you. Thank you for staying vigilant and being like Matthew McConaughey and helping to stop forest fires. I am always on the ready. Okay. <laughs> to to park to party. <laughs> cool. Good to have Dan back. Um then I saw The Life Aquatic, which like blew my mind at the time. Of course everybody whoever enjoyed Life Aquatic has come back around to say how terrible it is. We don't have to <laughs> That's we don't, a rite of passage. Maybe pause on going through the individual movies cuz we're going to run through the oh, actual... Oh, you need to do the... Okay. Or do, should we just do it this way, like, as we go? Because you pre- you're pretty much hitting on them, basically, in order. Okay, we're, so, we're jumping like, around a little bit. So we started with Bottle Rocket. Yeah, Bottle Rocket. I mean... Six and a half, seven out of ten. Yeah, I don't... 
get it's much like hard eight for me it just doesn't work yeah for me, really. i i give bottle rocket like a 6.5 i'd yeah, find it like unwatchable it's like um spanking the monkey era filmmaking just like but like mixed with like guy Ritchie vibes that are just like yeah. it's too like no just not there yet yeah rushmore rushmore i'm giving a 10 out of 10 i yeah. love rushmore i watch it when's the last time you watched it that's fair uh not recently but i've seen it probably like a hundred times <laughs> i watched it within the last year and holds up yeah dude. 10 out of 10 on that one holds up great for sure royal tenenbaums Nine out of ten. I'm also gonna give a ten out of ten. Yeah. I'm probably gonna give. I, I have to drop Rushmore by virtue of the fact that I'm on record. Royal Tenenbaums is in my top ten favorite movies of all time. That's misguided. I love it. Great movie. Um, <laughs> Life Aquatic. I never fucking got at all. I was obsessed with the Life. Aquatic. A lot of people obsessed. were. I find it so dull. It was at the zenith of me becoming like a big time stoner and a big time like artsy movie person yeah and it just hit every button that i wanted it to hit i just i really liked the idea of aping jacques cousteau as an and as like an aesthetic choice and i really liked the music i was really into david bowie at the time so that hit really hard all the emotional beats in that movie i saw that dude really well for me do all those Latin David Bowie song. All the stupid like CGI fish stuff aside, the stuff between Bill Murray and Owen Wilson is really uh, emotionally resonant for a movie that's otherwise so cartoonish and goofy. And um, I think Bill Murray, it's his best performance in a Wes Anderson movie. And those two things combined, it's like a strength that I cannot deny. Besides that, it's a movie that is not aged well and is, has huge problems just all over the place, visually, aesthetically. Uh, but Jeff Goldblum is great in it, too, and has just like a, <laughs> just a great role in like the tryst of a relationship that he has with Angelica Houston. And there were just iconic scenes, moments, and lines from it. Um, it's nowhere near some of the other movies that we're going to talk about. But I don't. I'm not going to walk around and hate that movie like so many people no. have decided to do. I don't hate it, but like I like. I think, I don't know, I think I'd probably give it like a seven. Let's put it this way, not to bury the lead, but I'm sure somewhere in this conversation, you and I both are going to declare the moment where we completely lost the thread with Wes Anderson. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but I also expect there's going to be disagreements on this as well. Sure. But, but yeah. But sure. what I'm saying is like, that's kind of what I'm looking for is like the moment yeah, yeah. that, you know, you really were like, wow, this is a problem. Well, I <laughs> And was it last night? <laughs> Which br- which brings us to the Darjeeling Limited, which is going to be our first disagreement because I know that you are a fan of this movie. I fuck this was. Go like, ahead, bitch. Yeah, I don't. I don't like this movie at all. This movie. God forbid you have an inability to resonate with a film whose central plot is about losing a parent. Yep. Um, <laughs> weaponized. I grief weaponized. <laughs> I, I related greatly. For the sake of a movie argument. I related greatly to Around the Fire. Because they, they basically were like, Dan, listen, 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 look at the movie. That movie was written by like the semen that made you. That movie was written by like my therapist in secret. Oh my God. Um, yeah, Darjeeling Limited, I right. just found to be. That Let's was, talk about it. That, that can, can we talk through it? That was like the first moment. Like, you know, Wes Anderson from basically. Anything when tenet- was the last time you watched Darjeeling Limited? 
like two years ago. Okay, and you still feel the same way. I just find it incredibly boring, and just oh. like that was probably like he had always been. He had started by that point for the last two movies to be starting to be criticized for like the style thing. I didn't feel. I always felt that it only added to Tenenbaums and for the most part Life Aquatic as well. Um, this was the moment where I was like he's crossing over into that territory of filmmaker where shots are far too long with nothing happening just in the interest of them looking pretty. And I just found it incredibly dull. I do like that third act, but like the rest of it, it's just the first, it's the first hour. So fucking boring. So wrong. I'm giving Darjeeling limited a six out of 10. It's a bummer. I, Think that if you were, when you take into mind Life Aquatic and then look at Darjeeling Limited next to it, you see a few things that are critical. A, there is a practicality to Darjeeling Limited that makes it more of a realistic and tactile movie and experience than almost any movie that he has made. I mean, they went on a train. For sure. It's the one to least India. cartoon-like. The the amount of like CGI bullshit and nonsense is at an all time low in Darjeeling Limited. There's I zero think it's CGI a, in Tenenbaums. There's d- zero CGI, but it's very whimsical in a oh, it's incredible in whimsical. a stagey way. In a like, this is a Where sort it's of play. Like you're watching a movie. Yeah, we're reminding um, you that you're watching a movie. Darjeeling Limited. I feel like I actually went on a journey with those characters, whereas. I did not feel that way with Life Aquatic. I did not feel that way with um, any of his like adventure animated movies. Or I didn't feel like when I watched the Grand Budapest Hotel that I was at, at the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Six, but six is probably unfair because it is like the only one of his movies. I agree with that. And um, it's like the only one where like you actually like. He, there's the effort into connecting with the characters. Yes. Instead of just watching marionettes it's, on screen. It's a it's a movie. It's a movie solely movie. designed for character yeah, work. I'll, I'll give it a six point five. Um, because I'm gonna give way worse ratings throughout this list. The main actors in it are all at the top of their form. I think it's one of best one of the best Adrian Brody performances. I think it's easily the best or one of the best Owen Wilson performances. Who wow. Is very it. Uh, I don't want to say like best performance outside of a comedy or something, but like uh, his character I connected to in a way that I surely am not connecting to other Owen Wilson characters. Um, He's a very flawed like leader of their group and has like a lot of insecurities and a lot of problems and like his ego and his id is like ultimately like he's literally falling apart throughout the movie. He's like bandaged and look, look, looks like a psychopath by the end of the movie <laughs> and has like lost all of his teeth. He goes through like a real character arc in that movie that I appreciate. I think all the characters do for sure. And just the soundtrack is just like so authentic and cool sounding and just like the visuals are so spot on. And like when you watch a movie like Asteroid City, which has like a train in it in like a dusty desert setting, it does call to mind like how again tactile and real that movie was and it may be the last movie that Wes Anderson ever made to feel as if it took place in a real world and finally last thing I want to say about it is it includes one flashback 
the restraint from a writing perspective to not flush out your characters with an overabundance of exposition, which Wes Anderson loves. He could have easily been like, and here's the story of Jason Schwartzman's character. <laughs> yeah. And like he did do that Hotel Chevalier thing to like with Natalie Portman's boobs to like um flesh out that character. But that was like either released separately or played it was played in theaters before that movie, I think. Get at me in the comments about how that worked. I don't remember, but that was like a short film that fleshed out his character. Anyway, you don't see much of anything about those characters, and then you have that one scene where they're all going to the funeral. And it's like fucking succession, I assume, and is extremely profound and explains backwards all of the ticks and um, insecurities and issues that all the characters have throughout the whole movie and is just brilliant. Really tight film. I don't find it boring. I'm pretty sure it's like an hour and 40 ish minutes without looking it up. And uh, I think it's one of his best. I would say like 8.75 out of 10. I feel like, as a Jew, you should have a healthier skepticism of trains. Probably the last Wes Anderson movie to make human emotions flow through my body while watching it, if I'm being honest. Uh, that I'm definitely going to agree with. Uh, all right, next we have Fantastic Mr. Fox. I did not like this movie. I saw Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, in, at a uh, preview screening mm -hmm. like six months before it came out. At like a mall. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I also don't like this movie. This movie is as smug and pretentious as you could yeah. possibly make a movie about a cartoon fox. I just don't <laughs> like watching it. This is where we, I feel, we cross over into like the Wes Anderson fan base being adjacent to the Kevin Smith fan base in just like mm. praising to high heavens shit that like all it has going for it is Wes Anderson being like, look how Wes Anderson -y I'm being. Well, as we go on, I'm not sure if I fully agree with that statement, but um, which brings us to Moonrise Fucking Kingdom. Well, no, I'm gonna say okay. one other thing. It's like <laughs> this is where um, I I lost. I would say half of the thread with Wes Anderson. I was like, dude, I didn't like this cartoon Fox movie. Don't do this again. Yeah, yeah please. Yeah. The next thing that you do be more grounded and character based and mature and interesting. And then Moonrise Kingdom came out and I was like, I'm going to kill myself if I ever have to see a Wes Anderson movie in a theater again. Yeah. I hated Moonrise Kingdom and people too. love I, it. Last night in my research, I was like love trying to get it. a feel for people's opinions on these movies. And people love Moonrise Kingdom. They do so much of, of Reddit discourse regarding Asteroid City was like easily his best since Moonrise Kingdom. I hate every time I saw that. I was like, hate that statement yeah. so much. Yeah. So um, they're like it's such a delightful story of childhood love. Let me tell you too that this is where started a trend that I don't appreciate with Wes Anderson, which is like creepy, like over exploitative sex stuff, which is feels bizarre. Yes. And like he has this like uh like predilection towards like full frontal female nudity that I don't get that has been in the past several of his films yeah and it's like you're making a movie that could ostensibly work for all ages but you're preventing yourself from doing that um it's like don't act as if you're making something mature 
by like exposing a naked person in it when the rest of what you're making is like infantile and like moonrise kingdom i don't think has full frontal nudity but the relationship between the two central characters felt like very like cp adjacent felt very like predatory like child sex exploitation and i just felt yucked out by the entire fucking movie i remember at the time i've seen it one time i don't think i'd go that far but i just find it like the relationship was like weirdly graphic or something i just find it trite good good review yeah Um, moving Uh, on yeah no i don't care for that one at all uh next up we have grand budapest hotel loved it yeah. Actually, I did see that in theaters. I watched Grand Budapest Hotel Because I thought it was going to look good. Last month. Uh-oh. No, and it's great. I, I loved it. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... You were you were like, give it another shot, because I remembered being tepid in it yeah. in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, loved it. I, I, it's probably... I'd say it's my favorite after Rushmore and Tenenbaums. It's a very mature, interesting movie. Yeah. It's him doing and it's, period piece work, and it's interesting. And it's tight. Like, it's, oh, yeah. It's not... It doesn't have the drawn out shit that F. Murray Abraham was getting goat. exhausting. Ray um, Fines, yeah. goat. I'm gonna give Grand Budapest Hotel an eight point seven five. I should rewatch that movie. I love that movie. Um, I would say an eight. Nice. All right. Next we got Isle of Dogs. I really like Isle of Dogs. I've only seen it once. That doesn't surprise me. It's got that fucking nerd aesthetic. It's very sci-fi. Um, it's very like manga, Japanese adjacent, cool art. Yeah, I enjoyed myself watching it. It certainly wasn't like Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I didn't find the need to watch it again. Yeah, I would say like it was s- fun. Seven point nine. I'd give it a seven. Really enjoyed it. Had a lot of great humor in it. I just don't feel the need to watch it again. I mean, maybe if like Criterion makes a really cool release, right? Like, I might get it. Yeah. All right. So then is French Dispatch. Is that the next one? Yep. Really? Yep. Yeah. So I, you know. Yeah. You go to bat for French Dispatch. I I have mentioned this before, but like I I saw it at the Man Chinese Theater in Hollywood on its like opening weekend. So like, what do you want me to fucking say? I was excited. Yeah. I Um, feel that. That being said. I understand anyone's problem with it. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I will say that I loved it for creating a fictional city that was really fully fleshed out and I felt was really interesting to be in and telling a couple really great stories in it and a couple just okay stories in it. But all of them had like a maturity that I was not used to in in his work and not completely upset with and it felt like an ode to a lot of like french cinema movies and like movies that i would see at like the ambler theater when i was in high school that were just like french cinema movies just fucking black and white fucking weird revolutionary garbage and um there was a lot of that in french dispatch and um i really enjoyed it timothy chalamet delightful Mm. I thought Owen Wilson was really funny in the opening scene of it as well, where he's like giving a tour of the city in a very whimsical way and um, really enjoyed it. Didn't appreciate the full frontal nudity. Very strange. And Benicio Del Toro was great, man. Yeah. Benicio Del Toro kind of is one of those guys that anything that's a piece of shit that he's in, he elevates it for sure. (laughs) 
That's uh, like for sure not always true dude, with him. The, like he was absolutely garbage in uh, Last Jedi. I hated his character oh, in that. About that. And there are certain movies where I find him a- a- intolerable, to what, be honest. What's that movie with him and Tommy Lee Jones? Like The Hunted? Dude, fucking Hunted, baby. That shit I got, I got bangs. That, yeah, I got that shit on disc, baby. Dude, that movie. Bang Bang City. I, I can't imagine it's aged very well, but neither. I'm never I. gonna watch again so that it can live on in fucking infamy in my brain. I saw that in theater. So too. did I. That movie Bang with Papa ass. Dukes. So good. Yeah. Um, such a good father son movie. I saw it with my grandfather, but it was really good. Hell yeah, brother. I felt like I was like I was seeing it with a war vet. We were both on the same page. My grandfather was like doing little knife moves yeah. while he's watching. I it. saw it with a Kane Community College vet. <laughs> Shout out. Random butt alert. I would like to see the baby. Very weird. Not sure how I feel about that one. (laughs) All right. Uh, So I think that brings us to today's picture, Dan. So wait, what did you, what's your GGR for French Dispatch? Um, Because that's the last motion picture that Wesley made. I fell asleep both times I tried to watch French Dispatch. Uh, I saw probably, I'd say like 45 minutes to an hour of it and just found it so fucking tedious. Got it. Yeah, it did absolutely nothing for me. I can't rate it because I didn't watch it all, but I didn't want to watch it all. Wow. It's just, dude, like, it's just... It's very little respect given to your boy. Yeah, I mean, so basically the premise we're working from here is, like, I'd say based on what we just heard, you're, like, a Wes Anderson fan, but I'm... But, Uh, like, I have higher scores for some of his films. I want to put a caveat on that. Tenenbaums and Rushmore are, like, I gave 10s out of 10. Yeah. These are pivotal, important, formative movies to my aesthetic and the things that I like. But, boy, do I not like so much that he's done since then. Yeah. But I still will watch everything. I'm more like... Except for the end of French Dispatch. When you call me a Wes Anderson fan, it's really just, like, a statistical thing. Because you're not a stan. A, I wouldn't put any of his movies in my top like I released a top 100 list I don't think there's more than one of his movies right. in there and it's surely nowhere near 10 and also he's probably like has to be the most goyish filmmaker <laughs> uh, <laughs> I found out two like facts about him his name is Wesley Wales Anderson which is as I said the least Jewish name of all time have you seen a less Jewish aesthetic and then the next sentence just explains Wes Anderson so well it could have come from a Wes Anderson movie. It says, Wesley Wales' Anderson's mother, Texas Ann Burroughs, is a <laughs> is an archaeologist turned real estate agent. Hell yeah. It's like the most Wes Anderson sentence this ever. This waspy motherfucker. <laughs> His great-grandfather was Edgar Rice Burroughs. Great. Created Tarzan and John Carter. I don't know if you're having a Mark Bernard moment there, but... Yep. <laughs> right about alert. Oh, I saw what it was going to be, and it was going to be the baby one again. <laughs> <laughs> I just opened my therapist note. I kind of remember. Was that. it also about Asteroid City? Yeah, it's it's. They're both both notes are titled Asteroid City notes. <laughs> um, and yeah, that brings us to. Oh, you already did the transition. You're the best. Thanks. And that dog. brings us to. The Big Daddy. Big Asteroid City. Now, a lot of people are saying a lot of very positive things about Asteroid City. Yeah. I've read some positively glowing reviews of this movie. Um, And um, man. I need to know how to approach this episode, Dan. Just tell, let's just do it on the front end. Just tell me what to do. No, did you love this movie or not? 
Oh, you want to know if I'm standing hard for this movie? I need to, yeah. No, this movie was a fucking stinkeroni. Okay, thank God. Okay. Um, I was like, but I was like, if, dude, this is going to be one of those ones where I'm going to come in. And he, Dan's just going to attack And me. Dan's going to be like, have a novel written about <laughs> the, the inner beauty that is fucking uh, the, the fountain. Uh, let me, how dare you, first <laughs> of all, because again, one of the greatest films of all time, Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain, please don't compare that to Asteroid City. God, I hope you enjoyed that movie more than this. <laughs> yeah, so my first note is uh, Asteroid City, A-S-S, Asteroid City, or Wes Anderson back on his bullshit again. <laughs> I was thinking more like asteroid shitty. It's right there, dude. It's right fucking there. Uh, let's talk about this brownish, uh, brownest <laughs> of brown motion pictures, Dan. <laughs> Have you ever seen a more sepia film in your life? Um, For a movie filled with bright pastel colors, just a wash in browns. There was a lot of problems with um, a lot of the choices being made in this movie, but I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to like... Like, I want to walk back a little bit the notion that I, like, hate this movie. I don't, like, hate this movie or anything. In fact, there are a lot of things I did enjoy about this movie. Um, Certain performances, certain choices, certain scenes, certain lines of dialogue. You know what I didn't enjoy is that uh, when you told me it was on VOD, you didn't tell me it was going to cost $25. Why would you ever do that? What did you do? I downloaded it. Ah. Why wouldn't you download it? Don't you have IP torrents? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Because I forgot, and I thought it was going to be like four bucks. And four bucks? It's a brand new movie. I don't know how this works. <laughs> yeah, it came out. When it, movies come out on VOD, they typically cost between 19 and 29 ish dollars. I bought the UHD. Oof. <laughs> Digital copy. Jesus. It was 20 bucks to rent it or $25 to buy it, so I bought it. Um. Money not well spent, Dan. <laughs> You know what, man? Maybe you should have just been like, maybe you should have hit me up and been like, you know, I'm thinking about paying full price for this movie. Any thoughts? And I would have been like, just download it on IP Torrents. Yeah. I should have. I wouldn't have said like, this movie is not worth $24. Right. That would have been a little too open. Yeah. I could have directed you to a better source. You know what? I like to support the art of people that I thought I was fans of. Um, <laughs> good for you <laughs> but good Dan for you. fuck this movie was exhausting I do want to make clear to anyone listening that while I am mentioning torning some of these films I do have a method which half unguilts me from this situation where if I like a movie that I download which I very infrequently have to download a movie anymore but when I do do that if I like it I buy it yeah same Um, so you know my bad. Everyone. I feel like if there's anyone in like amongst people who have downloaded movies, like if there's anyone who doesn't need to feel guilt, it's us. Like we sure. always buy a physical copy when we like the movie enough to watch a second time. Yeah, I'm in a mausoleum of plastic basically at this point, um, in the amount of DVDs that I own. So yeah, agreed. Um so uh Daddy's this... got them discs. Them it, it, discs. While I <laughs> So, yeah, maybe let's do, like, some of the things we like up front. Um, yeah. I thought... I do have a bunch of things that I like. Yeah. Do you want to read Do you want to read some of them? Um, I you like... very ready. You're perched. Or I, that could be you working on your posture. I am working on my posture. I like how many half-Jewish kings are in this movie. 
Jason ba- uh, Jason Schwartzman and Adrian Brody are two people who have no business not being fully Jewish. Uh huh. Just like aesthetically, <laughs> like you like. It's not like. Is it the Italian? Are they a little Italian? I know Schwartzman must be because he's related. Yeah, to Yeah, they're each not? half Jewish, half Italian. Um, they're both half Jewish, half Italian. That's what happens. I feel like we should get the claim one because we have one out of two, with the two halves. Hmm. Who who should we claim between Adrian Brody and Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman? For sure. Dude, Adrian Brody was in the piano and he's not gonna be fully Jewish. Come on. That's wrong. I My should've... culture is not your costume, dude. <laughs> I would have protested that at the time if I knew that. Um, I mean, look at him. It's reasonable to assume. Uh, beyond. I would say more like beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to find out that he is actually like his dad wasn't his real dad and his mom secretly had an affair with his accountant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is why I can't have toys on my desk because I just, I'm literally playing with my toys over here. (laughs) Um, you have no toys. Whoa. I know. Whoa. That scared the shit out of me. There's none there. (laughs) Um, uh, okay, uh, things we like. I have a note that says, two incredibly Jewish-looking men only being half-Jews feels anti-Semitic. <laughs> um, other things I liked about this movie, Tom Hanks kills it and is hilarious a couple times. Hmm. I thought he was very one-note in this. I, yeah. I enjoyed his very subdued vibe. You just liked him because he had a gun brandished the whole time. Some of the time. It felt to me as if Tom Hanks, without looking it up, was replacing Bill Murray for Bill Murray getting canceled would be my guess. And I just would have preferred it be Bill Murray. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Joan. Yeah. If Joan was one of the people that he uh, sexually molested in the workplace. Yeah. Um, what else? I like uh, I liked Brian Cranston being Rod Serling. Um, I guess. Like I, that I, dips into some of my problems with this movie, unfortunately. I, I liked... Uh, Willem Dafoe briefly. No. Um, and I liked none of the rest of it. <laughs> you didn't like Jeff Goldblum as a CGI alien? No, I didn't. It was just a bur- There are so many characters in this movie. Yeah. Just a it's like barrage a, it's of like his, a town. his friends just walking on. It was like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, dude. Like. Yeah. Really playing the hits. It was like the back lot at Dimension Studios for most of its runtime in the 90s. Um, so many characters. Yeah. The third act, I thought, picked up significantly compared to the rest of it. Lo and behold, it's the one where a giant fucking card goes on the screen and is like, to be played continuously. I'm like, oh, cool. We'll get to watch a movie now for like a half hour. Um, and it wasn't. Um, but there was some stuff that came together that I kept, I was like, oh, this is taking a turn that maybe I'm starting to like this movie. And then it fucking just hit me right across the face with the fucking, oh, it was up its own ass, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Go off. All all the black and white shit that was, I can't. Well, that's the entire other half of the movie. I know, but it's like, so slow, slow down, slow down, hoss. Uh, you gotta take it one at a time. There's too much meta shit in my world. <laughs> Scream six into this. <laughs> um, what Dan is alluding to uh, in his many ramblings is that 
Uh, this is not the movie as advertised by the trailers. As advertised by the trailers, thought I was going into a movie that was like weird, fictional, nuclear yeah. blasted. I was so excited for this movie, Dan. I wouldn't go. Not so excited, but I saw the I saw the trailer and I was like, "Oh, looks like Wes is back, baby." Yeah, I don't ever say that. (laughs) I'm always assuming the Wes Anderson movie I'm about to see is going to really frustrate me. Nothing could have prepared me for this. Wow, that bad? Not it's, dude. It's like I can't even say it's so bad because there's so much meticulously nice about it, but like, I just hated the experience of watching it. It was rough, and like all the reviews. I've read that and, are just glowing about it I want are the so identical and like college paper esque <laughs> in talking about this is why you thought I was going to like what it. it's really about. <laughs> it's it's a meditation on the themes. I'm taking everything you're saying right now as an insult. <laughs> it's a meditation on the themes of artifice within one's own art it and w- the struggle it, it of was. art versus artist it was all of those things and for that reason yeah all I've these been, things I've have been, been done dan no i know i know well all everything has been done dude this fucking point this movie was a fucking jerk off well yeah yeah i'm not here to- and it's like this movie i saw so many people being like this is wes looking at the camera and acknowledging the criticisms and being like Maybe I'm having a struggle with it, but all I can do is make my art, man. Like, you know who else said that? Kevin Smith post yoga hoser. Hitler. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were. I- Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the type of shit that leads to forever wars. Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, Topical. Okay, so yeah, you just went through a lot. Uh, emotionally and co- content-wise, which you, is good. I wrote a full review of this movie, Dan. I did not. Which I never do. I did not because it just didn't make me feel much in the way of any direction because, like, uh, as everyone would be fully aware, I uh, have a predilection towards alien content. Um, I inf- That's why I was worried. I was worried that you were going to be like, oh, it's Wes being super fucking Wessy, but, like, lots of cool alien shit. Well, we like, all know that there wasn't lots of cool alien shit. In I don't the movie. know with you anymore, Dan. Sometimes um, you come in and you just go to bat for something that I'm just like, no, no, it was not good. There's another movie that I cannot stop comparing this movie to because it's so recent and it's so much better. Uh, and that is Jordan Peele's Nope, which I struggled with greatly on my first watch because it was just a lot to take in. But now I consider it to be like one of the best movies from this decade, at least aesthetically at the bare minimum. It is one of the most gorgeous to look at 4K discs like period. You should borrow it. Give it a shot. Okay. Um, It's like basically what if this movie didn't suck? (laughs) Um, And having that movie floating over me while watching this movie, because that movie is also a meticulously stylized western adjacent movie about aliens made by a overly pretentious filmmaker uh, who is inserting too much messaging into a movie that could just be about aliens that goes for both of these movies more so for Asteroid City because Asteroid City was not really 
in my mind about aliens as much as it was like at times a parable for the pandemic it felt yeah, like yeah yeah for sure um absolutely the plot of the movie if you want to break it down is that the first half of the movie i would say and this is, this is without looking at time codes but the first half of the movie is a first act that just basically never fucking ends and where nothing happens and it's an introduction to asteroid city as a locale it's an introduction to one of the worst like meta framing devices I've seen in any movie. Um, and I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the whole meta conceit of this is such a big ask. I think it was about 50 minutes in when a character who is a general delivers like a little bit of exposition about like what we're really doing here because at this point in the movie an hour in you've been introduced to two concepts one this far away uh land of asteroid city this abandoned almost play-like stage of a like new mexico era 50s nuclear fallout yeah, it's, zone it's like retro futuristic yeah um that that is a plot line but the framing device that allows that plot line to exist is bear with me dear listener as yeah. i break the next sentence down very slowly it is this is exactly how i tried to explain the plot to cat it is not <laughs> um the writer of a play that is asteroid city it is a television production of a uh, like late night show that is breaking down the fraught decades that surrounded the lead up and ultimate death of a playwright who is played by Edward Norton in what I would imagine is like a dramatization almost. Um, that TV show is breaking down the period of time in the writer of Asteroid City's plays life that led up to his death, which happened i believe early into the run of asteroid city it's, it's essentially rod serling presents a documentary about yeah. tennessee williams yes a hundred percent that that is what's going on in half of the movie and what is painful about that is that when you have 27 characters in a movie and you're showing their doubles throughout who are the actors who are playing those characters a, you have absolutely no time to flesh out any of them. So their interactions are basically like fluff, like meaningless. Yes. That whole framing device is so brutalizing because it doesn't inform what's going on in the play Asteroid City. Because the play Asteroid City is a dumb play about aliens in the desert. Right. And the problem with the movie is that... Oh, and also the actor that Jason Schwartzman is playing who's auditioning for the role of the role that he's <laughs> playing for the other half of the movie in the other timeline is uh, having a torrid love affair with the author of the play because there weren't enough plot threads <laughs> in this movie that tied together zero of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they would introduce things like that Jason Schwartzman was having like a, a love affair with Edward Norton, the playwright. And it didn't do anything to inform anything anywhere. It just was like, 
here are the weird circumstances outside of the play. Other main problem with it that I hated, I mean, this was the part of the movie I hated the most, was that that universe, because again, like, Universe A, which is the play of Asteroid City that we're watching this washed out blue and orange fucking nightmare, that is extremely stylized. It's it's a play that we're watching. But the next layer of reality, which are the playwright and all of his follies, is also extremely artificial because that is taking place in a Rod Serling TV show. Then my next issue that made it all run backwards and be shitty was that what started happening in the playwright's world became more farcical than what was going on in the play Asteroid City. And then it got very like preachy and meta and and like existentialist and silly. And everyone started chanting like a phrase in out of the fourth wall, like to the viewer basically about like, it, it was like, don't, what was it? It was like, don't, if you're sleeping, you're not awake or something. You can't sleep unless you're awake. What was it? You're not, you're not awake unless you're sleeping. Yeah. That's uh, how I ended my review. <laughs> uh, you can't wake up if you don't go to sleep. And I understand like some of the ideas behind that, but like to have the quote unquote real world outside of the play be even fucking weirder. What a choice. Certainly was a choice. It's about the futility of plot expectations, Dan. Because we haven't seen a thousand good movies about that. (laughs) There is a moment, and I would say it's probably the most meta attempt Wes Anderson's ever really had, where, like, things are going haywire between, like, play universe and asteroid city universe. And a character, I think it's Jason Schwartzman, is like, walks out of being the fictional character. He's like, wait, I need to go do this in real life. Yeah. Like, walks from being a fictional character to being a uh, the actor in the Rod Serling show. It's the big reveal where truly everything we were watching was the play all along. <laughs> and he's like, he literally goes to the director, who's Adrian Brody's character, in the in the playwright universe and is like what does it all mean yeah and I was like this is fucking stupid yeah and Adrian Brody's like don't worry about it faggot <laughs> cut that <laughs> cut, uh, cut that one and right then out. Jason Schwartz was like whoa I, and runs through a door and here's Margot Robbie to explain everything and then she didn't Yeah, I I don't know. This was um, unfortunate. Jason Schwartzman plays an actor auditioning and playing simultaneously the role of a man named Augie Steenbeck. If Wes Anderson spent his entire career trying to come up finally with the most Wes Anderson-y character name, he has finally achieved Nirvana with Augie Steenbeck. I, I liked what he was doing in this movie oh wait also mind you that we're presented with an older bearded Jason Schwartzman 
But every time we're in Rod Serling world, he yeah. looks like a fucking hack, like two bit actor with like a Abe Lincoln beard strapped to his face. He takes the beard off. Oh, it's so much, Dan. <laughs> Like, thank God this movie was under two hours, but the yeah. only way this movie could have worked was if it was nine hours. I can't. Because there's 38 yeah. <laughs> characters. There's a Game of Thrones quantity of characters in an hour and 45 minute movie, and they each exist in different timelines. Right. How can you care about any of them? I had a lot of trouble caring about them. Oh, also Jason Schwartzman's wife died, and <laughs> he's carrying around in a Tupperware, and uh, his kids are super smart, but say really dumb shit. And uh, Tom Hanks is there. He's uh, around. Like, everyone's just around. It's like literally like the camera's just like on a dolly, gently moving. Like, here's Steve Carell. Leave Schreiber. Killing it in this movie. Everyone. Just around, hanging. Steve Carell was pretty good in it. Here's every... That was supposed to be Bill Murray, and he got COVID. Oh, that was supposed to be Bill Murray. Yeah. Hmm. Bill Murray should have played Tom Hanks. Should have played both characters. It wouldn't matter. Dual, dual role. Yeah. With a big, big fake nose. Yeah. Just fucking so much just like <laughs> arbitrary shit, like trying to be like, look, it all doesn't matter. Here's the Roadrunner. Like, <sighs> it was definitely the Space Jam 2 of Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> Dude, and that alien, like, what the fuck? I like the design of that alien. Oh my God. Other than I can't that, imagine how Rachel fell asleep during this movie. Oh, yeah. She was out early on this one. At 20 some minutes did, in. Am I the only one who noticed how brown the movie was? It was very brown and blue. I like I like the aesthetic. I like the town that they set up. Uh, I just don't think that really they did enough with it. And I think that the framing device was uh, like literally worthless to me. Because yeah, it, no, added it, so it added so much nothing. bullshit. Yeah. And every time they would flash to it, I would be like, here we go again. I know. Time for someone to pour something I don't like down my throat. Like, it's fucking medicine, and I'm not a fan of it. Um, I would have watched either of these movies, but not together. What? Mac and me? No, like <laughs> the Brian Cranston, Rod Sterling, oh. tripped out fucking That play would be movie. cool. Okay, that would be cool. Or... The West, the fucking Asteroid City, weird ass characters interacting with yeah. goofy alien plot lines movie. Would have loved that movie too. Yeah. Yeah. I would have taken both of those from Wes Anderson, but not together. He's just put <laughs> together in a blender and fucking, dude. He, like, this man is always criticized for treating his actors like fucking mannequins that are purely there to exist within oh his my aesthetic. God. This one. And this though? one, he was like, I hear your criticisms, people. Doubling look, down. You want to see what that would actually look like? Yeah. It, there's just uh, too many people. Yeah. It's like, and there's so many nice set design things and Wes Anderson trickery. Like, I'm just like, there's like stuff about this movie that I admire, but like, including the balls to just like, do it but also i like i admire it but i don't like it at all no whereas i vibed very heavily with what was going on and the tone of french dispatch i thought that a lot of the tone of this one was like more of the moonrise kingdom adjacent goofy weird dumb cgi shit that i can't abide by or maybe it's stop motion but just doesn't look right in camera and yeah, man. At this, least this was a a big whiff for me. But Did, at least I, there was full frontal, dude. Yeah. Ugh. 
what? Like, why? It's so strange. Did you see this movie got an R rating initially and they had to appeal it because of the full frontal? The board was just like, why did you have one fucking four second shot well, of it, it was Scar Jones? R, was it not? No, it was, they got it down to the 13. With a full frontal? Yeah. That's unbelievable. Because it's fucking meaningless and cold. I can't believe that. That really happened? Yeah. I gotta look into that. Uh... <laughs> Uh, where are we at with this is um, there's this thing that we do in the Movie Blues podcast where we give our score. Oh, then I want to read my review. Oh, you wrote. <laughs> you wrote a little ditty. Yeah, this was just uh, my end of movie stream of consciousness rant. Do you want me to put the Jeopardy music on? No. <laughs> um, let's see. I feel like we probably covered all this. But I'm sure see. we did. Outwardly acknowledging the deathlessness of its own characters and meaninglessness of its plot doesn't make up for those realities as a viewer. This is more philosophical musing on grief, existence, and one owns art and artifice than an actual movie, and it just kind of all falls flat in achieving anything heady. I didn't feel the meta, nor the meta of the meta, nor the meta of the meta's meta achieved anything truly statement-worthy. It all was navel-gazy, even for a Wes Anderson picture. Any statement this movie was trying to make adaptation already made while also managing to be a real and great movie <laughs> so true adding that's true adding a bunch of whimsy and past- pastels to the proceedings doesn't equate to, to a good piece of art no matter how much you wink at the camera and make absolutely clear that you know you're frustrating the audience and they're all in on it it's just a chore a neat experiment but ultimately so far up its own ass we get it not everything has meeting the meta thing needs to stop it's fucking dull you can't wake up if you don't go to sleep i wish i did Five out of ten. <laughs> nice. I'm about to bust. Five out of ten. That's rough. Uh, exhausting. This was an exhauster for sure. <laughs> oh, God. The, we're going to get comments. Give them to me, Andre. Yeah. Loved it. It was like it was wacky and weird. Go watch. Don't watch this. Watch Adaptation. <laughs> I'm going to give this movie a six. All right. Because, as is Movie Blues tradition, I liked 60% of this movie. That 60% took place in Asteroid City. Um, the other 40% takes up literally everything else in the movie. I really liked... Um, Jason Schwartzman. I really liked Scarlett Johansson. Um, I thought the child actors in it were fantastic and really funny. The three little girls. Yeah, Everyone was great in a really stupid movie. Um, I think uh, critically wasted were two actors mostly um, that I think the most criminal wasting of them was uh, Willem Dafoe and Adrian Brody who could have been interesting characters if they had more than like three minutes of screen time. Like, and then, yeah, they were the only interesting characters. The movie puts like a tremendous emotional crux moment, uh, to do with Jason Schwartzman and like Willem Dafoe's character. And just didn't land for me. Cause I don't know who these people are outside of the play. It just was really slapdash and bizarre and maybe felt like a movie that, was made uh, during the pandemic and reflective of the pandemic. And I'm just post-pandemic. That's where I'm at with art. I don't need any more pandemic art. No thank you. 
release all the other movies that have been held back release from that period of time evil. into a big garbage can in hell and where they belong. Uh, and other than that, would like to see Wes Anderson shake it up sometime soon. Dude, just career. go back to making movies. Go back to making movies would be great. I think maybe he like should. Like, you've already made it clear that you don't care what people think about your aesthetic. We didn't need a whole movie about how you're coming to terms with not caring. It hasn't seemed like you've been struggling with that. <laughs> right. And who knows what the influence is from Roman Coppola either, who right. has been his partner throughout uh, the past several projects. Um, he's got to shake it up or just stop making movies. I can't do any more things like this. No, this it, was for sure his like once upon a time in Hollywood. This is like, yeah. And uh, other comps is uh, this is like Taron Sorkin, the newsroom. Fucking newsroom, dude. Um, Yeah. So not for me. Uh, in terms of my notes, I have testicle cheeks, butthole mouth, <laughs> shit colored skin. Vacant human. Eye. Oh, I'm reading my Mac and me notes for next next week. Uh, join us on the Movie Blues podcast next week as we will be watching the um, seminal. You stole your character work is really informed. Your ability to now predict where I'm going with this. It's almost like we finish each other's McDonald's. <laughs> Don't touch my McDonald's. <laughs> Anyway, uh, join us as we do our first movie blues mukbang next week. Um, uh, we're going to eat McDonald's on mic per Dan Endon's request for doing the movie Mac and Me. We'll discuss more uh, in that episode. Dan, any final thoughts on Wes Anderson jerking himself off in the mirror upside down and coming in his own mouth? Um, I feel like a lot of people have expressed expecting me to like this movie because I like so many boring Criterion movies. And I feel like that. That's why I think you would like French French Dispatch if you gave it a, a little more of a shot. I, because I, you like movies that, honestly, that movie is trying to ape, which are just like Criterion black and white garbage. What I watched of French Dispatch, I liked more than all of this movie. 100% a different kind of director made that movie. I don't know. I just like. Much more mature. It was like he wanted to make another Fantastic Fist. Mr. Fox movie, but like with humans, with humans yeah, <laughs> with the entire cast of The Office. So weird, just, weird, just weird, and like I, I feel like, like film criticism that's based around entire like anything where a hundred percent of the positive rhetoric about a movie is like thematic analysis with it's like every review is basically like, yeah the movie itself sucks but like the themes are really heady maybe you shouldn't watch nope like the characters <laughs> are meaningless but like so is life man <laughs> yeah that was kind of the message <laughs> yeah like dude thanks fucking like one degree removed from like a fucking vanderbilt filmmaker <laughs> for telling us that life is meaningless Thanks, Wesley. Yeah. All right. On to uh, next week. Wes Anderson, 6 out of 10. Wes Borden, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Baby.